The first reading this morning is from Deuteronomy uh, chapters 4, uh, 29 through 40 verses. But from there you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him, if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day of that God created man on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is your God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, and he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their hand for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statute and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. The word of the Lord. Please read responsibly by half verse with me, Psalms 19, verses 7 to 14. The law of the Lord is perfect. The precepts of the Lord are right. The fear of the Lord is clean. More to be desired are they than gold. Moreover by them is your servant warned. Who can discern his errors? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit.
The epistle reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 7, verses 12 to 25. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war, against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling, selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, with the sheep and oxen, And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, 
Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Would you pray with me? O Lord Jesus, who cleansed the temple from sinful selfishness and greed, we praise you for restoring and sustaining a loving relationship with us as we worship. We ask you to send the Holy Spirit to us to clean and renew our own hearts, and that you continue to be our advocate with our Heavenly Father. Without you, we are lost and unable to find ourselves. So with grateful hearts and in your strong and holy name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I put chicken wire around our gate and a bungee cord on the gate to keep our dog in, and still, with a certain regularity, he finds his way out. He's a French Brittany Spaniel, and he loves to run. He chases the squirrels and enjoys the freedom. You can see it in the expression on his face while I'm chasing him around the neighborhood. <laughs> but I can also see it in his eyes. He's at war within himself, much like Paul in his writing today. Because I'll call out to him to sit and to stay, and he'll do that until I get up next to him, and then he sprints off again. He wants to obey, but he also wants to run off. Yesterday, I chased him through Lachen's circle. He and I had two very different experiences. Uh, he was having a blast, and I was dealing with high anxiety for his safety and a twinge of embarrassment uh, while physically exerting myself to the best of my ability with an audience present. Maybe it's time to get him fixed. And I can't get Gretchen to promise me that the next dog will be a Basset hound. But I'm telling you right now, if a Basset got out, I'd get it quick. Now, today's readings, all of them, and also this Lenten season, have us looking at the war that's within ourselves. Uh, that Wanting to do right and not being able to at the same time and trying to figure out where we stand with God uh, in the midst of all that. So I want to ask you a, a rhetorical question. Uh, don't say the answer out loud. You might get it wrong. Uh, what are, what, if you, what are the answers uh, to, your, to this question? Why is it that we read the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, in worship in Lent? What is the purpose of reading the Ten Commandments together? What do you think it is? And what are the feelings that come to mind as we read the Ten Commandments? Is it obedience, or is it a sense of anxiety and embarrassment? Is it shame, or is it joyous freedom? Well, I have a theory and that theory uh, it comes from the Deuteronomy reading we have today, the setting and the tone with which Moses sets up before he gives the law to Israel. And it is such a different tone than I think the tone of just reading the Ten Commandments has an effect to us. What I mean is when we read the Ten Commandments, we have to ask for mercy in between each one. Uh, that's how directly they, they uh, point to our sinful selves. And yet, that's not the spirit with which Moses is speaking to Israel, entirely different spirit. Uh, in fact, today's reading was supposed to be the Exodus uh, passage from Sinai, the giving of the law, and we changed it because we had just done that together in the Ten Commandments. That was Chris's suggestion, and I'm thankful for it, because this tone that Moses delivers the law to the people with is so important. 
And so I'd ask you to turn to that uh, part of our bulletin, that uh, Deuteronomy passage, and look at what is the, the way that Moses is speaking to Israel about the, the blessing that it is to be the people receiving God's law. Right before he's going to say the Ten Commandments, he has this passage. And it's, uh, it's important to hear that what he is pointing to is a special and unique relationship with God. He's, he's almost saying, uh, the word you comes up so many times. Don't you understand how wonderful this is, you people, uh, as we look at the passage? Uh, it's, this, it's this sense of uh, no one ever before or since is as blessed as you are, and now hear the law. Uh, you know, isn't that, isn't that a strange thing? Do, why do we not feel that way when we're reading the Ten Commandments in the front of the service? And maybe that's the course correction that I would suggest we take here, is that we are the blessed ones who get to know what God's heart is and how he wants us to live. That's a special thing. That's a good news thing. That's not a bad news thing. And that's why I'm so thankful also when we come to our Romans 7 passage, you see Paul debating this very thing. Is the law good or bad? And he says, well, the law is good. It's just me that's bad. He says, a wretched man that I am, in the striking way there. But also he says in another place in Scripture, he says, the saying is trustworthy, and you recognize this verse, and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost, says Paul. Uh, so Paul is writing about the relationship, in the, the war within himself. But what I'm having us uh, look at here is that the law, when given, was a special gift to the people. And let us not get too far away from that heart. It says uh, here in this Deuteronomy passage, as we look at this special, it says in verse 4, Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs and wonders and war, and by a mighty hand and outstretched arms, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown, that you may know that the Lord is God and there is no other beside him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. It's almost the tone of Moses saying, don't you know how lucky you are? Now, lucky is not the right word, because lucky is about odds and probabilities and chance. And there was no randomness involved in this. This is, God had chosen a special people to bear his witness to the world. And in doing so, he showed them how it was that they were to live together. That is the, where, the foundation and grounds for the Ten Commandments. You are so blessed. You're so unique. You're so special. You're chosen by God. Therefore, let's talk about how we're going to live together. Isn't it true that most human, the most humans of questions uh, throughout time is, is there a God, and how would he want us to live? Well, these special people got both answers. Yes, there's a God. He, he's shown it through speaking out of the fire and the, the way he delivered them from Pharaoh. Uh, who, by the way, was worshipped as a, a god king. Uh, god defeated the god king for this group of people and delivered them out of slavery and then gave them this instruction. Here's how we live together. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. And it should remain that way for us. You were handpicked, a chosen nation. Verse 39 goes on to say, Know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and the earth beneath, and there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Uh, the law is not just a wagging finger. It's a covenantal promise relationship uh, through which you have all these blessed promises 
of a relationship to God and a place to dwell and safety with him. Uh, that's, that should not be unplugged when we read the Decalogue. You should, we should still also hear the covenantal promises of God who is faithful to us even when we're unfaithful to him. Uh, we ha- the, the Ten Commandments should also have that ring in our ears when we read them in Lent. The law was given, therefore, not to condemn, but to bless. And yet, we still have the sin problem. And I'd like to jump over to the uh, gospel reading for today where Jesus cleanses the temple, or in John chapter 2. If you look there, often this passage gives people trouble with their image of Jesus. I don't think it should. Uh, This is Jesus uh, doing some important work that needs to be done. Uh, Here's the metaphor that came to my mind anyway, is that if you're in your house, your garbage disposal in your sink got clogged, and then you just went on living without calling anyone to fix it or without doing anything about it, uh, and the water, or the dirty dish, greasy water just kept flowing out of your sink onto the ground and all over the floor, you just, you just got comfortable with that. Uh, what would that be like? Well, it'd be something like what was going on in the temple in Jerusalem at the time when Jesus arrived. Someone had to clear out this sludge, this clog, this, this sin stain that was, uh, was getting in the way. You see, these people would travel for miles and miles around uh, seeking to meet God in the holy place and to atone for their sinfulness. And other people thought, you know, I can make a buck off of that. And they were uh, setting up shop in the temple to sell them their pigeons and the other animals of sacrifice. And when Jesus saw it, his heart was to remove that from the drain, to get that unclogged and unstuck and make sure that people could relate to their God who desires a relationship with them and wants to pardon them from their sin. And so Jesus does that action. Uh, that's, that's only a holy thing. Uh, and so it fits right in line with who Jesus is and what he came to do. And also you find there at the bottom of the passage that there's a clue here about his death and resurrection. It says that, uh, he says, destroy the temple and in three days I will raise it. And the Jews said it had taken 46 years to build the temple. How could he build it in three days? But it says in 21, he was speaking about the temple of his body. Now, this is important. In the Old Testament, in the Deuteronomy passage, God spoke out of the fire. And Moses says, no one has ever been as blessed as to see and hear that ever before. And then Jesus gets to the temple and he clears the money changers out of it, restoring the process of repentance and and worship that the Jewish people have. And he does something even greater. He says, I'm the temple now, in a manner of speaking. Meaning that the way that people will relate to their God is not as uh, though he is distant, but he has delivered commands, but that he's there face-to-face in person with you. God has come and dwelt among you. And he says, this is how you worship now. It's my body. My body is the new temple. Now, if we put that together with the Last Supper, uh, we see that Jesus says, this bread is my body, and it's given for you. And this wine is my blood. It's shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. We say that every week as our, in our communion. This covenantal relationship with God, the one we couldn't keep, Jesus came down and kept it himself and then p- gave his life as an offering, taking away the punishment for our sin so that we could have that restored relationship with the God who loves us enough to give us the law in the first place and to son- send his son that we would be restored to relationship with him in the end of all things. It says that Jesus' body is the new temple and the one we should pay attention to. Where do we meet God? We meet God in Christ. 
And yet we go farther. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So you are not your own, or you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This temple of Jesus' body, he's now consecrated a temple in each of our hearts. And that same work that he did in the temple to clear out the sin stain of the money changers, he's offering to do for you in your own heart. To clear out those places where sin has crept in or uh, the, the, the things that Paul is dealing with in, in Romans 7. This idea that you want to do right, but you just can't help yourself. You know, let's turn to that passage, if you will, that Paul's writing there in Romans 7. You know, one thing I like to do is, you know how people sign their email with a, a Bible verse? I love, it, ch- it cracks me up to find really strange ones to put in there. Uh, so you could sign your email with Romans 7, verse 15. I do not understand my own actions. <laughs> but isn't that so relatable? This is Paul, the one who wrote so many letters of the New Testament, who planted so many churches, who was God's chosen man for getting the gospel beyond the Jewish nation to the Gentiles. And he's saying, I'm the worst sinner. And he's saying, I'm the foremost of them. Wretched man that I am. We need Jesus to come and cleanse the temple of our hearts. And that's why we read the Ten Commandments. Yes, it's a mirror and we say, oh, I don't like the image I'm seeing in this mirror. But it's also a reminder that God wouldn't let that stop him from having a relationship with us, that that forgiveness is on offer for us. Because he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? In verse 24. And yet the very next verse, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what I would commend to you today. How far apart in time was that sense of who can save me? And then the answer, Jesus can, in the next line. So when we read the Ten Commandments or whenever we come to face to face with our sin, It's okay to recognize it and to understand the position we're in, but follow it right up with the answer. Jesus Christ, he's there, he's with you. And so as we read the Ten Commandments going on in Lent, and as we continue to uh, examine ourselves to look for how we can uh, be more in line with God who has loved us so much in Christ, uh, I ask that you uh, turn to Jesus whenever you feel that way that you don't feel, oh, God must be somewhat disappointed in me today, without knowing that he's already taken care of that on the cross. Yes, the people of Israel were so special and chosen and set apart when they received the law, but how much more special now are anyone who accepts the sacrifice of God in Christ? You are God's chosen special people. You are the ones who are uniquely gifted with a relationship with a living God who has dwelt with you and died in your place. This is the heart of God in Christ who fulfills the whole law and by the Holy Spirit empowers you to follow after him. So when you stumble and fall, when you do those things that you hate to do, when you don't even understand your own actions, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, making intercession on your behalf even now, continually willing to cleanse the temple of your heart. So as we turn to the Lord's table today, Let's be contrite and repentant, but most of all, let's be thankful for a God who always desires a relationship with us. Amen.